0: and welcome to A Living My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. We're back after a brief hiatus with one of the biggest bands of the 1990s, the Cranberries. I had a chance to speak with their drummer Fergal Waller. The surviving band members are about to reissue their third album, To The Faithful Departed. It was their highest charting album in the States. It reached number four on the Billboard 200 album charts. It featured songs like Salvation, and free to decide. Virgil talks about just how fun it was to go back and read revisit these songs. Of course their first two albums featured smash hits like Dreams, Linger, and of course Zombie. We talk about Zombie because on YouTube the video for Zombie has over a billion views which is pretty fantastic so we talk about that. We also talk about the tragic passing of lead singer Dolores O'Riordan and just how therapeutic it was for the surviving members to make in the end, which featured song demos that Dolores had before her passing in 2018, we talked about that. We talked about Fergal's solo stuff as well. It's a far different musical um, experience than the Cranberries. Really nice guy, I enjoyed my conversation with Fergal, and I hope you do as well. So, Fergal, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Noah. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. So the al- the third album of the band, uh, To the Faithful Departed, uh, is being reissued and uh, pretty yeah. cool. Uh, a vinyl release, too, I believe, right?
1: Mm, yeah.
0: yeah. You know, Coming yeah. out uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, you worked, you know, the first two albums were reissued, too, and then you know, the, the greatest hits. So is it kind of cool to go back and, like, revisit these songs after a while?
1: It is, because you forget. I mean, I don't really listen to old Cranberry's albums. You know, I just Hi-ya. I don't. If it, it comes on the radio or whatever, fine, I'll listen to it. But, you know, it, you don't really listen much to your own stuff because right. you listen to other people's stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it was funny to go back and, and revisit this because I, I had forgotten how much I liked a lot of the songs on it, you know, and it, it was an eye opener. I was like, oh my God, Jesus, it sounds really good, you know, and, and when it was remastered and everything, I listened to it at home and I have a small studio outside beside my house. I listened to it in the studio and the proper speakers and went, oh God, it sounds great. Some songs are huge, like, you know, amazing. Now,
0: can you, you immediately go back to like when you recorded like these. Yeah. Albums, you remember exactly where you are, maybe what you were wearing, you know, how the band's like, attitude was and stuff like that.
1: It's kind of like looking through an old photograph album. Sometimes the memories are of when you recorded the song. Sometimes it might be when the song was written and we were first rehearsing it in, in rehearsal room or whatever. Um, Other times it would be on, on tour, you know, just different memories come from from various songs. Right
0: now, what were some
1: of your uh,
0: like favorite songs from the Faithful album?
1: Oh, I love the Rebels. I lo- I love the this this kind of a an innocence or something to it, and the way Dolores kind of sighs at the end. It's heartbreaking. You know because she's remembering that carefree time when you're a teenager and you can just go off and do anything you want you know and have no one trans and it, it, it was it's really sweet so i love that i love um hollywood not hollywood that's just a heavy nice big heavy song electric blue i love i love uh, oh when you're gone is probably one of my favorite songs ever i used to always love playing we played live nearly every night it was always in the set it's like a classic. 50s or 60s song that Dusty Springfield would have sang or something. So, you know, it's got that vibe and I, I love it. And then when he played it live, the chorus just had, had a kind of heavier feel to it. And it, it, It's a great song. It's a classic. I love it.
0: Yeah. So when you, I know the band was together in different iteration before Dolores came and, you know, sang for you guys. So what was your initial reaction first to her voice and then to her songwriting?
1: Yeah, we, we were blown away by the fact that she could actually sing well you know um because you know when we were in, in the other band with the guy Niall quinn he, he had been in a, in a local band and we were just looking for someone to sing and he said look I, i'm doing a side project kind of thing you want to do you want to do be the band for that and I was like okay so it was an experience and it was a good experience because it was our first time playing little club gigs and that and we'd never played in a band before so that was a, a great stepping stone But um, we weren't really into his style of music. And then when he left, we tried out another few singers and they couldn't really sing. And then luckily, Niall um, was going out with a girl who was in school with Dolores and said, I heard these guys are looking for a singer. So she came up to the rehearsal room on a Sunday afternoon with her keyboard under her arm, planked it down and played a few songs. And we were like, oh, she can sing. She can actually sing. Great. But we couldn't really hear her properly because she was plugged into a guitar amp with the uh-huh. microphone, you know, right. quite distorted and rough. So it wasn't really until a few, about a month or so later, that we went into do some demos in the recording studio that we were going, oh my God, almighty, this is unreal. Because she was doing backing vocals and soprano stuff and all these layers. And it just really revealed her voice. And then we went, okay, yeah, this girl can really sing. She's amazing.
0: Yeah, I guess you guys are kind of lucky that you didn't take that first initial, uh, you know, contact with her. You know, plugging in the wrong, you know, amp that, you know, give her a chance and just. You know, yeah, we
1: we 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 knew that you know it, it was the wrong equipment, but yeah, we couldn't done
0: anything else. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what do you think the biggest difference, like your first thing, having like a male lead singer opposed to like a female lead singer, is there any difference? Do you think?
1: Uh, it's, it's, it's not male, female. It's, it's more of a personality thing. You know, there's, there's plenty of male singers who can sing really sweetly and softly like Tom York or someone like that, or, you know, but yeah, it's more the personality of the person. Okay. Yeah. Did all of you like share the same musical like interest before? Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, you know, Dolores was from the countryside outside Limerick, a small village just outside Limerick. But, um, she was into like the Smiths, um, Depeche Mode, New yeah. New Order. You know all those kind of bands that we liked, and it was like, oh, okay, wow. Well. Yeah, so that, it make makes it a lot easier because all those influences that that you listen to when you were younger come out through you subliminally. I think when you're creating music, right? Yeah. So, what was
0: the biggest break that you guys first got?
1: Um. I suppose the big shift came um, on our first US tour because we had been touring around the UK and Ireland, and then we did a, a we were support act for a band called the Hot House Flowers, an Irish band who were playing a, a tour around Europe, and no one really knew us. The UK people knew us, all right, in Ireland, but not no one in Europe knew us. And then we got a call from uh, our A and R guy. Denny Cordell, who was based in New York, and he said, "Look, Linger's really taken off over here in college radio. You need to come over and start doing some shows." So once you got to the states, we played so many shows. God Almighty, we just toured and toured and played nearly every state. And played. I remember with one one gig in St. Louis, it was sold out. So the promoter said, "Look, guys, you played the show. I'll get the audience out afterwards." And then put another audience in and you can come back on again. So oh, we wow. took a half break and they cleared out the first audience and brought another audience in and then we played another yeah. show is surreal, insane. So we knew it kind of then it was like, okay, this is really taking off here. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, how like beneficial was that to the band just to get out there and like tour and play, you know, just
1: to like. The best thing you can do best is best about it. It really is because. In the rehearsal room, there's no pressure, there's no adrenaline. You know, you're just playing for yourself, you're relaxed. And even if you try and focus and, and say, OK, we're going to really concentrate on the song. It's a different level because when you're playing in front of an audience, you don't want to mess up and make a mistake. So you, you really are extra focused and it just playing every single night or every, you know, four or five nights a week. You just get so tight as a band, as a unit, and you just you're in it together and you're looking at each other. It's, it's almost like a telepathic thing of oh, where we're we going to go next and push a bit harder or relax a bit here. You know, it, it, it's an amazing experience. And, and for any band starting off, the best thing you can do is try and get out and play live and, and tour. And, yeah.
0: Were, were you as a band and even you individually? Did you prefer being out there like performing live as opposed to like being in the studio?
1: Um, I like both. Yeah, I I kind of preferred live because there's a bit more freedom to it. Yeah, in the studio, especially being a drummer in the studio, you have to because you're the one laying down the very first thing that goes down on tape. So you have to yeah. get everything back on and be, you know, not not drop a stick or miss a beat or anything like that because you're going to go back, especially with tape back then. Right. You got to go back and do it from the start but now it's a little bit easier with pro tools you can like if you, if you miss one snare hit or something like that or you're up a bit fast or slow you can kind of move it a little bit but uh yeah i just found it was a bit pressurizing back then in the studio but but it's different now
0: yeah you, you mentioned pro tools and a lot of artists who i spoke with at first were a little hesitant to like you know go and like you know and learn
1: it were you one of them or did you embrace it um as time went on, I I, I I got to embrace that kind of stuff. And um, we had a break from. From the band, I think it was around 2003 or something like that for a few years. So I was starting to get into that stuff then, and. I had a, a small studio set up for kind of just my so my drums wouldn't be in the house, they weren't in there. So I kind of made that into more of a, a little production studio. And started teaching myself all that stuff and then uh, started recording some local bands and it was a great experience to learn all that stuff. And then kind of jumped into deep end, but it, you know, it stood to me now. It's, it's great. Right.
0: And you mentioned obviously the drums. So how'd you get involved in the drums?
1: Oh yeah. I don't know. Um, I met Nolan Mike. We were break dancers, believe it or not. It was in okay. uh, 14, 15, 14, maybe something like that. So I had that rhythm thing in me, I suppose, maybe from that. And then uh, after a while, you know, phases come and go when you're a teenager and breakdancing, weren't really into it anymore. So we started getting into more listen to music and like the Cure and the Smiths and New Order and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, for some reason. Oh, yeah, there was a a guy that I was in school, but Aidan Divine was a local DJ. And he, he used to play an play a show of Irish bands, you know, so he featured feature Irish acts on, on his radio show. And um, he started playing bands that were from our town that we didn't even know about. This whole other world that, that we didn't even know existed. So I got some demo tapes from him and and, and gave them to the lads and said, listen to this, they're actually from Limerick. And we were like, oh my, oh my God. So we went off to see these local bands playing in clubs and stuff. And said, "Geez, you know what they're they're doing it, and they're from New We should get instruments." And and you know, I think that was what sp- sparked the whole idea. Um, Mike was going to get drums, but I got there first. I I got <laughs> drums from Mike. Right. present. And then following February, Noah and Mike got the guitars. Yeah.
0: So had Mike gotten you know the drums first, would you just switch to guitar? No. You know? <laughs> <laughs> In band with two drummers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> or you'd still be out in the corner, you know, breakdancing, right? <laughs> yeah. You really can't break dance to any of the Smith songs, right? I mean, maybe New or, Order. That's good songs. <laughs> New Orleans,
1: I'd say maybe. Yeah, you could do Monday or something like that
0: yeah but uh, yeah it'd be kind of depressing to you know breakdance some smith songs <laughs> yeah so in the first album um came out and you know it was fantastic you had like you know, obviously linger and dreams and my favorite song sunday is, is on there um did you know right away that like say linger was gonna be a smash hit
1: Didn't Denny did our our a and our guy Denny Cordell? Um, he was mad about that song. That was a song that really hooked him in. And uh, when when we recorded the album, he was kind of saying, "Oh, linger isn't quite there. It's, it's something missing compared to the demo." And he got us to remix it with a few other people, and just Stephen's version was the best. And we were like, "I'm sorry, but Steve's version <laughs> is the best." You know? right. and then eventually he just conceded and said, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, but he, but he knew that song. But he could hear something that, that maybe we couldn't, I don't know.
0: Right. And then when you finally, like, realized that, wow, this is really, really, really good, did um, it just take off from there?
1: It did, yeah, because we were on that tour in the States, and, you know, we were staying in small huts, the motels and stuff. Myself and Mike used to share a room. We watch an M T V and it was like, Oh my god, Linger's on. And then it became Oh, Linger's on again, again, again. It was on heavy rotation, like yeah. and we were like, Oh my god, this is really taking off. Yeah, it it
0: was all over. You, you couldn't, you know, get away from not that it was, you know, you wanted to get away from it because it was a fantastic <laughs> song, but it was just it was all over the place. Now, when you toured the States, you know, that first time, that was your first trip to the States?
1: Um, no. Um, we had been to do the music video for Linger. Okay. So we'd been over just for a long weekend. And I had been over to the States like when I was 18, I did a like a student visa thing working for the summer. Okay. I was down in Annisport working in a super stopping shop. Oh. Night shift, <laughs> mopping floors. <laughs> oh
0: wow. <laughs> yeah, there's a stopping shop five minutes away from my, my house right now. <laughs> yeah, bring back some memories. <laughs> what what was your favorite town to
1: like tour in in your worst town? They were all fantastic. And I can say that honestly, because right. we pretty much nearly played every state. Yeah. And on that first tour, first of all, we were opening up for um the, the Okay. You yeah. know, this band. Yeah. And and then on on our days off, we do club gigs as well in yeah. whatever town was close. Yeah. Um so we just toured around everywhere and you know, because I think it was our, our first big tour that we were getting a great reaction from from an audience. You know, there was actually a a full crowd there and they were singing songs and it was like, oh, my God, this is incredible, like, you know, because in Europe we'd be playing at a club and there'd be three people and none of them would know any of the music or anything. So it was a whole different experience to actually get a reaction from an audience. And yeah, so we just loved every minute of it. It was fantastic. Yeah. When you have a crowd, when it's less people in
0: the crowd than they're on the stage, like, how do you like w- win them over? Can you?
1: You just gotta uh, just play your best. really enjoy it and have fun and kind of think of it as like a rehearsal. You know, where you're yeah. just playing and right. trying to enjoy it. Yeah, but it, it is very hard. It's it's especially you know th- those first few um, small tours we did when there was you know no one in the audience and stuff. After a while, it starts to wear you down a bit, and you're like, "God, oh, we gotta do something. We gotta do. How do we, you know, yeah. bring this next level?" Like,
0: right? You know, they always say like you have like your whole life to create your first album, and then you have six months to do the second album. Was there a yeah. lot of pressure
1: for the record? No, no, argue no, not really. We didn't feel it anyway mm-hmm. because when we were on that tour, um, we were writing at Soundcheck and writing. Okay. As we went along, right. <clears throat> excuse me, I've a, a bad cold. I don't
2: know. Um,
1: so by the time the tour had finished and the record company were saying, "Okay, guys, you got to start thinking about another album," it's like we already have it, you know. <laughs> so yeah. it was fantastic. Right, we took a, about a month or two off. Um, when we finished the tour and then went into the studio with Steve again to start the second album, just yeah, it was great because we we'd even played some of those songs live and. Yeah. you know they were well rehearsed so it was it was smooth
0: right and like one of those obviously was zombie so you played that mm.
1: right? yeah
0: oh, and that's an interesting story how that that song got made i mean i know the background unfortunately too, you know two mm. were, were killed but um the um record company was kind of hesitant right to have oh song. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> they, they thought it was way too controversial and they didn't think it'd be a good idea to release it and you know, we we said that we had played it live, and there was a great reaction from the crowd, even yeah. though it was their first time hearing the song. So we were kind of we had to really push on that, and eventually they they said, "Okay, we will go for it." And yeah. thank God they did. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, they don't they don't know it all the time, right? You you have to stick to your guns if it's something. Yeah, need. absolutely. Yeah. Was that a a fun? That was an intense song to play on the drums, right?
1: Yeah, it was great always to play, to play it live. It was obviously always in the set and it was one of the ones that was kind of towards the end of the the, the concert. So you've you, you know, got the energy going at that stage and it, it, it was always, I I always dragged out the intensity for that one. I kind of <laughs> thought about what it was about and, and the horror, everything, and just really went for it.
0: Is that kind of like emotionally drain you after this one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 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 There's times I've been in bits after it like
0: yeah. <laughs> worth it, you know? Right. Yeah. Now obviously like, you know, the first album, you know, got you on the map and you, you know, obviously took into another stratosphere on, on the on the second album. So opening up for like the, the I mean obviously you were much bigger, you know, for the second album. I remember seeing you with a toe the West Rocket. You guys, played, yeah. played played with them, and then eventually mm-hmm. saw you know on your on your own show. So, was it a different atmosphere on that second tour as opposed to the first one?
1: Yeah, I suppose we had built up to it at that stage, you know, because we had done about two years, year and a half of touring for the first album, and then um, we kind of started off with some smaller gigs on the East Coast. We, I think we went to like Atlanta and kind of worked our way up. Yeah. And then did um the the Central Park. There was a summer okay. summer stage in Central yeah. Park. We did that. And then out to Woodstock to do the oh okay. the Woodstock. It was insane. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen anything so big in my life. Right. So that was yeah, mind blowing. And then we just did it like five or six kind of gigs before that to warm up. And then went off to um Australia do do some gigs there and then Japan and that. And then we came back and did a big, massive tour in the U S with them. Um, Grantley the Buffalo. They were open oh. up, up for a great band. Still yeah. love them.
0: Right now. They're, they're, they're fantastic. Now, were you working on the third album during that tour as well? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We were at sound checks again, doing all that kind of stuff. So we just, you know We'd do our sound check and then we'd have maybe half hour to spare or so. And we'd right. kind of say turn PA there and we'd just have our monitors on stage and turn the lights down. So it kind of felt a little bit like a rehearsal room where it was just the four of us on stage doing our thing.
0: Yeah. Did you come off those tours just like like emotionally spent and like, we need a break? Or you just, it was pedal to the metal the whole time?
1: Yeah. No, it was emotionally spent and, and physically by the end of it you know sometimes you know it tends to be three months and then back home for a week or two and then three months again so but by the last few weeks I remember you can almost see the finish line and it's like it's going to be Christmas in three three weeks time it's like oh god I'm wrecked I need to come but you you know you just got these last few weeks to go it is very hard yeah, yeah. but when you- you're young like you can do it
0: Right, you know, of course, that's the time to do it, right? <laughs> when you're young, yeah. W- were you able just to like kind of take it in and realize just the magnitude, of, like how big it was, and enjoy it, or no?
1: Not really when we were in it. No, it was more afterwards when you're looking back. Yeah, because we were kind of in a bubble. With, you know, we were all really good friends with the crew, and got to know everyone that worked with the band really well, and and we were like a little bubble just heading around the world doing our thing, and it was it was great you know it's a big adventure for us we loved it yeah
0: and then you know back to zombie for a second can you even imagine i mean mtv played in a big now mtv is completely different than what it was you mm. know back then now it's youtube and that video had a, over a billion views i mean it's it's, it's amazing how you know just the magnitude of, of that song and do you even imagine like that song like it's one of the few like in, i think i know
1: agree. Right. And it's like, yeah, you know, I believe. It, it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Cause I remember when it was close to, to, um, a billion and I got a, a call to do an interview with, um, Irish radio, Dave Fanning is a really good DJ in Irish radio. who kind of supported us from the very start. And while we were doing the interview, I was talking to him and then he says, Oh my God, I just got news. It's gone to a billion. And I was like, <laughs> I was trying to hold back the tears right. and everything. Right. Amazing yeah yeah. yeah now how
0: many of those views were the band <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah oh not too many right yeah we watched yeah. it a few times like, but yeah i don't really watch oh, right no i, don't I know. know it's weird looking back at videos and listen to your own music it's just a bit strange yeah
0: <laughs> what i love about the the first three albums is the the uh, album covers and you guys were always sitting down and then there was always you know one member of the band who would stand up. So who decided like who would be the guy or into arts to stand up in the, video, in the album covers?
1: It was the photographer Andy Earl would kind of say, "Okay, tr- try sitting down here, or maybe sitting the edge of the sofa," you know. But initially, for the first album, we can kind of been talking about different ideas with that. Um, Callie Calliman was the the art producer who worked a lot, and great guy. We've worked with him a number of times since. And um, there was a Beatles album where they were all wearing um, black polo necks and you can kind of just see their heads. We were okay. kind of saying, oh, I like that kind of idea. you know. So we kind of zoned in and something like that. So that that's where that idea came from, I think, to you know, all wear black or whatever. And then he said, well, I have this couch and maybe you could sit on the couch. And, you know, so he put that in. Mm-hmm. And after that, we kind of said, let's go back to the couch again. It was, it yeah. was great. you know. Right. Yeah. Do you guys enjoy making the videos? No, not really. <laughs> no, they're, they're hard work. Yeah. It's not... You're miming, you know? That's the first thing that's like, uh yeah. miming, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of something you had to do. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, the best fun. Right, I'm sure Dolores didn't like it either, right? She was okay with it. She liked it a bit more. She was oh, into okay. the whole performance and getting dressed up and going mad and doing crazy ideas so yeah she, she she liked and she talked with the directors a lot because she wrote all the lyrics obviously so she has a, a better yeah. picture of you know what the song is about so she kind of that was her thing it was like okay great you, you do that you yeah. don't have to worry about that. right
0: was there ever a jealousy of her being like
1: featured oh god or? no no I'm no not at, all. at all. I mean any band everyone knows like Mick Jagger is the singer of the Stones like that's yeah. their thing they're the front person yeah you know we'd always try and support her because i mean she was the one who got all the attention walking down the street or whatever you know and we could we could head off and do our own thing most of the time right so hard you know and um yeah to 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 never be able to get away from that the public eye you know so we always try to support her and you know check if she was okay and if she needed anything or yeah right
0: I mean, I guess for you it's it was good you be a rock star and then kind of be inconspicuous too. So that's yeah, that's kinda of good. Yeah. Yeah. Was um I mean I, I guess we can talk about this now. We'll kind of bounce around a little bit. Um her death. I mean, I, I knew exactly where I was when I when I first heard now was it a shock to you guys?
1: Yeah, complete and utter.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just
2: uh
1: yeah, I can't I can't explain how. Shocking it was, and you know, and six years later, I still can't yeah. believe it. Sometimes you know, it's spectre to, to ring, or you know, it's strange. Yeah. But then, at, at the same time, I try and be positive about it and try and think back in all those great times we had, you know, and right all the good stuff. And and sometimes I feel that presence is there, you know. She, yeah, it's like I don't know. There's something that she's she's here.
0: No, I know. And,
1: work. yeah.
0: Like working on um, the, the album in the end, you had her, you know, uh, demos. Was it kind of good therapy for you guys to work on an album?
1: I think it was. As hard as it was, it was, it was definitely a good idea to do it when we did because it was only a few months after she passed away. And, and it was Stephen Street that suggested that. He said, if you don't do it now, you probably won't do it. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's going to be really difficult, but... Now, while while the emotions are running high, and, and you're you need to put that grief into something like, and this is the the ideal situation to do this, get it all in there, and you know, honor her.
0: Yeah. Was it difficult the first time you heard like the first song
1: that you you were going to work on? Yeah. Her yeah, work? yeah. The first couple of days, I personally thought, Jesus Christ, no way I'm going to be able to do this. No yeah. way. But. You know, Steve is incredible. He's a great way with people, and he said, "Look, you have to kind of almost separate and imagine that she's here, and just get on with it and do it. Because otherwise, you're just going to be in bits. You're going to dissolve, and you're not going to be able to do it properly. Right. So, you know, you, the best thing to do is is to focus and honor her, and and put all your energy into into making it as good as possible."
0: Yeah, and, and it's a fantastic album. I, I really, it's yeah, no, no, it really,
1: is, yeah,
0: I really love it. It's, it's it's really good. Yeah,
1: when I heard the demos, I couldn't believe it. It's like okay, yeah, this 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 could be really really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I and I know, like you guys, you know, you, you had a couple releases after you know once you you got back together, but was the band still? You guys were still going to continue, right? Prior to her death, like you know, still. Release. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prior to her death, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. 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 So what happened with the breakup in 2003?
2: It was know?
1: just too much. We had been touring and touring, album, tour, album, tour, and it was like, need a break from it. We were sick of looking at each other because you're all in the same bus and yeah, totally you see know, <laughs> close contact. And after, Jesus, it was over, over 10 years of touring nonstop pretty much. So it was like, okay, we really need to stop this for a while because... Okay no one was enjoying it anymore and right. it wasn't fun it was just a slog yeah so we kind of said okay let's take a break for a while and see what happens
0: yeah and that was kind of an interesting time in, like the music industry that's like when like chris napster started and then like the whole like kind of album sales kind of went by the wayside and it was more streaming do you, you guys were like aware of that too was that even in your decision making or no
1: no it wasn't part of the decision no it was completely different Okay. But we were aware of it, obviously. But no, okay. this was just, we just had Enough. O- drink, over stress. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and when you guys did, you know, get back and release a new album, Roses, which I have, I love, that's, that's uh, you know, right up there, one of yeah. my favorite albums. It's,
1: it, it... That's a great album, some fantastic songs in it. It's just, we we're, we're actually have the idea of maybe doing a whole repackage, re-release thing because it never got the attention it deserved and some fantastic yeah. songs in it. And it just needs to be yeah. kind of pushed properly, and people need right. to hear it properly.
0: Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like Show Me, I think, my favorite on, on that album. Now, like, were you surprised because, like, it was your first album in a decade, right? A, a little more. Yeah. Than a decade. So were you surprised that it didn't garner more attention? I mean, it, it did well. It did reasonably well.
1: Yeah. But... It, it was more of a rec company thing. It was a smaller rec company that we hadn't worked with before, and they kind of, I think they didn't really know how to do it, or they were focused too much in the UK and not the rest of the world, mm-hmm. not realizing that we're kind of really big in the rest of the world but not so big in the UK. Right. So I think that was part of the problem.
0: Yeah. Which is a shame because you guys obviously were huge all over the world, you know, especially, (laughs) you know, in in the States. So, you know, even like someone like me would have understood that and like, you know, marketed you (laughs) (laughs) better than that. Yeah. Now you've been working on some solo stuff, which is really good. It's a big, you know, change from the Cranberries and I love the album. Yeah. You know. I'll hope is never lost and it's you know instrumental stuff like kind of you know soundtrack you know stuff yeah so how did you like was that always your love you
1: know yeah, yeah. Stuff, you since know? i was like 17 18 i used to listen to soundtracks and, and the lads kind of looking at me thinking you no know, right there's no there's no words what are you doing it's like oh yeah you like it my dad was into classical music so it was always music in the house and i think that's maybe where it came from that that whole love of that Soundtracky stuff, yeah. So it's something I always wanted to get into, but never really had the courage or self belief to do it. Yeah. And then in 2012 we had some time off, so I I went to the university here in Limerick and did did a masters in music technology, and that kind of gave me a bit of confidence, I think, to start writing my own stuff. And yeah, yeah so yeah, I'm delighted. I love it. It's great because I, I don't have to travel. I have a studio here, and I can send stuff via email to people and. I do music for short films, documentaries, things like that, and I love it. It's great. Okay.
0: So the really the pandemic really didn't change much of your like day to day stuff.
1: No, I actually I live in the countryside, so it didn't really affect us. And we were myself, my wife, and kids like were here, and I was just cooking up. I love cooking, so I was cooking more food, guys. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, it was great because you know we we really appreciated the fact that we lived in the country because we were saying there's people in apartments who are locked in their apartment, and right. the only way get out is to walk the dog, like, and you know, yeah. it's, you know, we really, we're grateful, I think.
0: Yeah, oh, that's great, yeah, you can just go outside and do whatever, and just, you know, live your life like nothing, nothing. Mm. yeah. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio?
1: Yes, I was driving out the road from Limerick, out to my girlfriend's house, and Linger came on local Limerick radio, or whatever, first time got Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I actually think I had to stop the car. Right. and just wasn't to the side of the road and just listened and went, Oh my God. So then I called over to the guy's house and, and, yeah. and told him it was on the video.
0: Right. What about like one of the most interesting places? Like you wouldn't expect to hear
1: it. Oh, um, yeah. In Asia, I think. Okay. There was a, a mad a cover of Dreams. that was huge in Taiwan, I think. It was a Taiwanese girl who did a cover of dreams and it was number one. And so we got there to do the show and they were like, do you know this person? And we were like, no. And then they played us the song. We we're like, oh, wow, that's good. Right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I had um I had Tim Palmer on a, a few months ago and I had no idea. Oh, that, yeah, he was, you know, or you going to work with him on, on the third album before. you guys Yeah. In the direction. Uh, what was the reason why you guys didn't work together? Um.
1: Tim was a great guy. It's just that for the third album, we wanted to do something kind of radically different. Right. And we had been touring so much, we wanted more of a live, rockier sound. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody that works with Red Company suggested Tim Palmer, uh, we knew th- the stuff he had done was Tears for Fears, and we said, okay, we'll give it a go. But it was great, but it was a bit too similar in style, maybe to what Stephen would have done. So okay. we were kind of saying, mm, you know, maybe we'd do something different.
0: Right.
1: I think Dolores was pushing for Bruce Fairborn. Yeah. Okay. Because she loved that Airs. Well, to be honest, we all loved that that Aerosmith when they were doing like crazy. Um, Living on awesome. the edge, stuff like that. Living on the edge. Yeah, yeah at that time yeah. it was all over MTV and we were all right. loving that. And it was kind of like, okay, this could be cool. Yeah, something mad okay. different. So that's, that's why it was nothing personal. I mean, Steve was art tim was great and did a great job with those songs and i was delighted that we remembered them because it was nice a nice little thing to put on on the box set yeah that's
0: great are you you gonna keep going with the box sets and the reissues
1: if they allow us yeah keep going it's nice to do i mean to find little bits of stuff that no one has heard before and, and and put them in yeah so yeah, it does work. They're successful, and it's nice for fans to get their hands on, on good quality material that you know they haven't heard before. Right, absolutely. Because I'm like that as a fan of other bands, I will collect like all the singles and try and get to, just to get the B sides and stuff yeah. like that. I've always been yeah. like that.
0: I know. Yeah, me too. Now, unfortunately, people don't know what B sides are anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, are, are you surprised about like kind of like the revitalization of vinyl
1: and how big yeah. it is? now? It's crazy. It's yeah. hard to believe it. I, I'm delighted. It's great. I mean,
2: yeah.
1: you know, for younger people to be, you know, to have to get up and and change sides. There is an experience to it. Side A, side B. I love exactly. that. Like, right. You know, because we were always of that mentality when when you're making a record, even if it was a CD, you'd oh, yeah. think side A, side B. That right. song might fit better here. You, you'd try out a different playlist and and see what works with the flow of the song, the, the songs through the album, and that. So yeah, I do like that idea.
0: Yeah. Me too. Me too. I'm just hoping that, you know, we, we don't have like a comeback of cassettes. I don't think. We, we no, no, that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely no need for <laughs> <do that. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to the Faithful Departed, the uh box set comes out October 13th in, in the States and can't wait to get it and for I appreciate your time today. hope you feel better. This was great.
1: Much love. Thank you
0: and a special thanks to Fergal for joining me today the 25th anniversary edition of To the Faithful Departed comes out October 13th the three CD box set features um one disc that has the remastered version of the album. Second is Demos and Outtakes, and the third is the 1996 Free to Decide Tour. It's all fantastic, can't wait for everybody to hear it. Oh yeah, there's a two vinyl set as well, vinyls back maybe. You can follow The Cranberries, their website is cranberries.com, on X, formerly Twitter, it's the underscore cranberries. And if you have a guest suggestion, and if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first zero 19 formerly Twitter, now X, or like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and view the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. It goes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, Facebook, where we can find a podcast.
2: A new episode comes out soon. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.